0: Of the class, but the lesson plan he can't recall. The student's eyes don't perceive the lies, mounted on every fucking wall. The exposure is well kept. I guess he fears playing the fool. The place students sit and listen to that bullshit that he'd learned in school. up my vote to swing on.
1: And welcome to the Weekly Review. This is Roman. It's June already. It's June 2016. Opened up the show with some Rage Against the Machine. There's a new supergroup coming out called Prophets of Rage, featuring a few members from Rage Against the Machine and Public Enemy and Cypress Hill. So that's pretty great, and I look forward to hearing more music that has a message. Uh, I think that's quite wonderful when artists speak their truth and... uh, Get people going. It's a. It's great to have uh, anger and eloquence and articulation in in rock music and all types of music. So we got a couple guests on the show today. We've got uh, Kathy Howard who will be coming in later today. I met Kathy at a fundraiser for Forty Eight Hills, which is a. Uh, it's a pretty good journalistic uh group i'm still waking up i guess i'm finding my words here uh so 48 hills is a great resource to find out what's happening here in san francisco so there was a fundraiser uh, a few months ago and we met and kathy is very active with the voting no on prop b campaign so for people who are choose to vote here in san francisco and will be voting in person or before june 7th um we're encouraging folks and we that's also the green party are encouraging folks to vote no on prop b because uh it's pretty corrupt the way it, it's and we'll hear more about that just to hear exactly how it's corrupt. some folks who are around and have heard that there for a while there was a dolores park wanted to take reservations and kind of privatizing the public park which is pretty gross and so this kind of goes along the lines of that like when yes of course it's great for the parks and recs to have funds however uh, we should really be careful as to what they're doing with those funds, and the reason to vote no on it is that it's, it would be corrupt. Like, where the money's going would be not helpful for the citizens of San Francisco. And before that, uh, calling in at 1230, we'll have uh, Frank Romano, who is an author and an activist, so we're very much looking forward to speaking with him. And we'll play some music throughout the show um, featuring uh, – there's a wonderful artist named Ribri Tree, and we'll be playing some music from Ribri uh, throughout the show. Ribri is currently on tour and uh, a wonderful human being and a wonderful performer, which is how I introduce a lot of people. Uh, But yeah, there's a lot of great artists out there who are awesome people as well. So I'd like to give them time and uh, share their their art with all the listeners out there. So it's San Francisco, here from the Mission District at Mutiny Radio, uh, as per usual. It's been quite a week, (laughs) as always. People are getting pretty... Uh, intense about the election. And my thinking behind this is, uh, if people were this involved with local politics, in addition to presidential politics, you know, the presidential election, that would say something. And then also, what are folks going to do after the election? That's the one question, Um, depending, you know, whether or not the people and I have a feeling a lot of people are going to be disappointed. Uh, That's maybe it's the cynic in me. I'd rather be. I would much rather be proven wrong and be super happy than be right and be grumpy. I would. I would totally love it. I would love to be proven wrong and have someone I really dig be elected. But no one I've ever voted for has been elected president. Anyway, that's totally fine. That uh, it is what it is. But my my main concern though is how people are going to use their energy and their time to really fight for what they believe in. Because I feel like elections are in some ways distractions where people feel like, first of all, not everyone's votes are counted, so that's problem number one, and not everyone who can run and should run, they get to run. Um, but even even beyond that, I feel like it's a way to make people feel, feel powerless, where people can, you know, vote, you, you know, you cast this vote, and then sometimes people choose to disengage after that. And I'm wondering, regardless of what happens, if folks can stay active and stay engaged and really work um, locally, in any in any way possible to find to create a world that we want to live in instead of kind of casting a vote for someone else and putting it on someone else to do things for us. Because I feel even even if that happens, uh, even if someone I really would like to have elected wins, (laughs) which, again, I'm not holding my breath for. Um, even if that were to happen, I feel it's still, it's still my responsibility to be as active as I can within the community and do what I can and speak my truth and really spend my time and energy that I have to work, to make things better and to kind of create the world that I want to live in. And if folks were on board with that as well, I think that would be quite beautiful. And one representation of that was at city hall. I spent some time at city hall. There is uh... the board of supervisors meetings and other meetings and uh... on wednesday the uh... the s f p d there's the they want to get tasers because they don't have enough weapons Um, and so many, many, many folks um there they had a meeting in room four hundred, which is like a smallish room and not everyone who wanted to speak or even listen, uh, was allowed in the room because it was so small. So they had an overflow room, which I was able to sit in and, and watch some of the speakers, which was wonderful. And there are so many people from all 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 backgrounds really speaking about why uh the cops should not be given tasers um from just all sorts of standpoints. And I mean the main thing really is that The change that needs to happen is not to give them another weapon. It's really to teach them to de-escalate situations instead of giving them another weapon to use on people, especially uh, when deaths are caused from that. Uh, from from this weapon and also there is uh, information about like the company that has lo- the company that creates the tasers like they've been lying um, someone spoke who was like in the police academy and she was saying that people weren't taking it seriously when they did like these uh, learning exercises to use the tasers um, there are folks who are speaking who have lost uh, children and those, those crimes have been unsolved and giving giving the police officers yet another weapon to use against people uh even though it's not quite- quite as lethal as a gun, it's still a weapon, and there are just so many people spoke and they were very eloquent and uh very impassioned and I felt really that made me feel um very um good and very positive and that's what I try to focus on too um uh with with the show is that yeah there's a lot of depressing <laughs> i've gotten that. I wouldn't say a complaint, but maybe a comment about the show that folks find the news depressing and I recognize that that's true. And there's also a lot of positive things that are happening. And uh, I've been doing the show now since December of 2013 and I've had the privilege of meeting a lot of amazing people, a lot of uh, activists and community organizers and people who work in all sorts of fields, um, whether it be like environmental or social or artistic and folks who really work to make this world a better place. And sometimes it's easy to forget that when we hear about terrible things that happen um, from the systems that are in place, whether it be the being in a police state or whether it being uh, having there be so many prisons everywhere or the law being unjust and this, quote unquote, justice system, which is clearly not just. And our, our lack of health care, um, especially with our reproductive rights still being attacked with uh, trans folks such as myself, um, a lot of the time not feeling like People are that we're being treated fairly, we're not getting our needs met, we're not, we don't have access to what we need. And um, I also recognize I'm in a very privileged uh, position, um, but I still recognize how just hearing what friends and people I meet are going through, um, I feel the need to, to speak, um, to, to comment on what, what they're going through as well. So I feel I need to, to share that information with everyone so um, even with all these all these things happening where folks feel like they're being attacked and they're not feeling safe uh, there are so many people who are doing so many great things which is just wonderful and I feel very appreciative to have met them and that people continue to do the work and that's been happening for a very long time I'm reading a book right now about nonviolent revolution and you know we can we can talk about that for sure there's that part of me that's naive enough to think that can work. However, there's been a few things that have happened this week where people have reacted violently to people causing violence and uh, I wouldn't necessarily not defend them. Let's put it that way. There was this preacher in Arizona who stood outside a high school holding a sign, which I won't even repeat what the sign said. It was really just disgusting and misogynist and violent. Um, So he's like totally misogynist um, advocating violence against women and LGBTQ people and he was standing outside a high school, which is just, you know, it's like, if, if people have those views, fine, have those views. I, you know, we can't police people's minds. Um, but to be outside a place, a school where there's youth, and to be spouting violence, um, especially towards marginalized people, it's like, that's just gross. And so people, some students and teachers were coming up to him, asking him to leave, being polite, trying to have conversations to get to where he's coming from. And his, his, I can't believe I'm wasting time on this asshat. Anyway. Anyway. <sighs> he, he he was like talking about, he was, he, was, he was using religion to defend his bigotry, which of course we know is a common go-to for people who want to be bigots. And, oh, uh, uh, God's telling you to be a bigot. Really? Okay. Whatever. Long story short, he was out there for a while and many people went up to him, were trying to They were doing their best to be civil and have a conversation with him, students and adults, and he was just not listening and continuing with his hate speech. And eventually, a student went up to him and hit him in the head with a baseball bat. Now, I am someone I do not condone violence. However, I will say however, um, there is that part of me that's not... If someone's advocating, he was advocating violence and people are saying, oh, well, this person who was a youth who's now arrested and they're, they're, um, they're collecting bail for this person. Um, as, queer, as queer folks um, and women and many people who constantly face violence, both verbal and physical violence, um, the idea for someone to defend themselves and to act, it's not, we're not the instigators here it's someone else who was instigating violence and this person had enough hit him in the head and he actually walked away so in some in some regards this action did cause him to leave the leave out like outside the high school so there is a there is a fundraiser going on to collect bail uh, to get bail for this person. And um, if there's time in the show later, I'll maybe read a little bit more about that. And this is just me going. I haven't I don't have the article in front of me. I have watched the video, and I've read some commentary on it. And I've seen the there's a GoFundMe page. I'm sure folks want to Google it. They can find um, all the information if people would like to donate to help get this person out of jail. But here's someone who is you know defending themselves. Um, And defending other people from hearing all this hate speech, and they're the ones who are arrested. However, and of course, I'm a prison abolitionist, so the idea of someone being arrested, if someone's going to be, I mean, my my main concern with it is that the folks who are arrested are often the people who are just kind of defending themselves. And that's a real problem. And there's also, there's a leader, not a leader, but there's someone who's very active because I recognize that a lot of movements don't necessarily um, identify with the idea of having leaders. Um, A person who's very active in the Black Lives Matter movement and she has been arrested and there's also bail set for her and I'll definitely get up that information. Um, So again, that's part of the reason I don't really believe in the prison industrial complex is that so many of the people who are locked up are not guilty at all and the folks who I believe in an ideal world, if you were going to lock up people, it would be people like Karl Rove and Dick Cheney and war profiteers. Those are folks I feel society would be better off uh, not having them have uh, access to the rest of us. So if um, if those folks are not going to be uh, arrested and you're going to have um, activists and people who are actually freedom fighters, if they're the ones going to be arrested, then I think the whole system is completely flawed and fucked. So, I'll read a little bit about the um, the person here uh, who is Jasmine, and there's a hashtag going around, FreeJasmine, and um, here's a couple, pieces uh, piece of information where folks can help out, and it says, what to know, or want to know what you can do to help Jasmine Abdullah. We need you to, one, pack the courtroom for her sentence, sentence hearing, which is Tuesday, that's June 7th at 8.30 a.m., that's the Pasadena Courthouse at 300 East Walnut, two, Help build BLM Pasadena and all SoCal Chapters. Uh, Join us for an emergency meeting Sunday at 7 p.m. And that's at Chucos Justice Center. Three, sign and circulate the forthcoming No Jail Time for Jasmine petition to the judge. Four, donate to Jasmine's legal defense and or books at www.crowdrise.com slash BLMLA. Note Jasmine in your comments. Five, use your voice, talents, and resources to elevate Jasmine's case and cause and end to state-sanctioned violence against black people. Hashtag Black Lives Matter. And if you'd like to hear that again, you can check out our Facebook page, facebook.com slash weeklyrev, and I have posted this information uh, there as well. So please um, do what you can and share this information. And again, uh, these are folks who have been unjustly arrested and are simply responding to the violence that, that they face on a regular basis. And it's, again, it's the system is being used to um, hurt people and not help people. And that was another, there's a quote that's been around for quite a while, like the system doesn't work for people, it was never meant to protect. That's a very common uh, thought and it's it's the truth. It's absolutely the truth. Um, because if the system <laughs> uh, were not in place as it is in place, then uh, people, it, it's just constantly been going after people who work to challenge the system and make it safe for everybody, and by locking people up, that causes more harm. Oh. So that that's that's my opening. Uh, it's not a rant. Well, maybe it's a rant, but that's just some information I wanted to share with with folks out there in ways that people can get engaged, and to please share this uh, information with folks uh there's a few more articles we might get to later in the show definitely want to use the time to speak with with folks and here their thoughts on everything so uh one article we'll be getting to perhaps later um sounds familiar is uh, the new york police illegally profiling homeless people complaint says and that of course is happening here in san francisco they're still doing sweeps it's disgusting it's inhumane and to target, I mean, that's the seems to be a recurring theme is uh, people in positions of power targeting marginalized people. And how fucking gross is that? That's just disgusting. And I try really hard not to label people, um, but really just like their actions and their behaviors. Um, You can – no one's born a police officer. (laughs) You can choose to be one. And you can also choose, if you do go that route, to actually um, hold your fellow officers accountable when they're doing really dirty shit. Uh, That's something that people can do. So until I see more of that, I'm going to be very, very, very cynical. And not even cynical. I think really just um, astute maybe is the right word because if I see folks in positions of power – Continuing to oppress people, yeah, I'm gonna call you out on that, and a lot of people are a lot of people are, and so that makes me feel uh, it's it's frustrating. It's really frustrating that there are people positions of power that continue to hurt. you know, we all should be kind. We all should help each other best we can. and the idea that folks who have even more privilege are the ones who are using their using this leverage they have to then hurt people is just just terrible. Ooh, here's a hot, here's a, hot, here's one story. Um, that's somewhat positive, I guess, depending on how you look at it. And then I've always, I've noticed in the show that I had this, this realization, maybe a year and a half ago, that all the positive news stories that I cover on this show are really just people undoing the damage that's been done or kind of correcting some terrible things that have happened or unjust things such as uh, a common example would happen to be, Cannabis legalization, I think it should be legal and accessible to absolutely everyone who needs it. It's a no brainer. And so I get happy when states decide to actually let people have the medicine they need, which, again, we shouldn't even have to be dealing with that. It should have always been accessible to people. But since people, since it's been criminalized, um, I will take some pleasure in knowing something positive is that it's becoming more and more accessible, not as fast as it should be, and also people definitely need to be released from prison immediately and have their you know records expunged for simply having access to this or possessing this, this substance and or sharing it. Um, but again, so it's like, oh, something great is happening that shouldn't have, you know, or like uh, trans folks having access to fucking bathrooms, which is, again everyone should just have access to go wherever they need to go. Let's end a story. Okay. So this is from alternate, which I realize is a little bit, I wouldn't say conspiracy theorist esque. I think both the left and the right definitely has folks on these extreme ends. Um, But then again, uh, the mainstream media is definitely aligned with the right wing. So I feel to have folks that are more like left, it's kind of just a natural reaction. And uh, also, uh, I, I trust uh, that the, with the saying, like just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not after you. So here's this. So this is about civil liberties here, and this was written by uh, Sarah Lazar, and this is from Alternet. How teenagers got police to back down and remove military-grade weaponry from their high schools. Now again, this is positive because yeah, teenagers, you know, fighting against the, you know, fight the power. But why the fuck would police have military-grade weaponry in their high schools in the first place? Why are there police in the high schools in the first place? That shouldn't even happen. But, oh, man, I got angry real quick. Um, Los Angeles high school students and organizers forced police to remove grenade launchers and M-16s from their arsenals. A coalition of Los Angeles high school students and grassroots organizers just accomplished the unthinkable. After nearly two years of sit-ins and protests, they joined, They forced the police department for the second largest public school district in the United States to remove grenade launchers M-16 rifles, a mine-resistant ambush-protected pro- M- MRAP vehicle, and other military-grade grade weaponry from its arsenal. But the coalition did not stop there. Members took over a Los Angeles Unified School District board meeting in February to call for proof that the arms had been returned to the Department of Defense, a demand they eventually won in the form of an itemized invoice for every weapon sent back to the DOD. Going further, the coalition successfully pressed board members of the school district to apologize for greenlighting the policing of K-12 to grade students with weapons of war. Ugh. I now understand that especially in the context of the many conflicts between law enforcement and communities of color across the nation, our participation in this program may have created perceptions about the role of our district and our school police that my silence exacerbated. Uh, Steve Zimmer, the president of the Board of Education, wrote in a May 19th letter to the groups Fight for the Soul of the Cities and Labor Community Strategy Strategy Center, which played a key role in the campaign. Please accept my apology of any and all of my actions that contributed to feelings of betrayal and injury and interrupted our important collaborative efforts for equity and justice in all aspects of public education. Perhaps most stunningly, the coalition eventually persuaded the Los Angeles School Police Department to issue its own apology. The LASPD recognizes the sensitive historical aspect of associating military-like equipment and military presence within a civilian setting, wrote Chief Steven Zipperman in a letter dated May 18th. We recognize that this sensitive historical component may not have been considered when originally procuring these types of logistics within a civilian or K-12 public school setting. The resounding victories were won in a district where the vast majority of students are black and Latino. In the era of Ferguson, they have seen images of young people who look like them being shot and killed by police. Amid mounting nationwide outrage over police use of weapons of war to patrol civilian neighborhoods, the win marks an unprecedented stride toward the demilitarization of public schools. I know that this will transcend my school district and state, Brian Cantero, a senior at Augustus F. Hawkins High School, told Alternate. I feel like I was part of something that is bigger than me. I prevented something terrible from happening to someone's brother, sister, friend, or daughter. We prevented a tragedy. We prevented a war. When the police got those weapons, it was a call to war. Am I viewed as a student or prey? What do they think I am? At the end of the day, something had to be done, and we took charge. The Strategy Center describes itself as a movement-building think tank rooted in working-class communities of color. According to Director Eric Mann, the organization first discovered that the Los Angeles Police Department possessed an arsenal of military-grade weapons two years ago. At the time, Mann and his colleagues had just returned from a Solidarity delegation to Ferguson in 2014, where they witnessed the deployment of tanks and assault rifles against civilian protesters. Mann said the delegation understood this was a part of the war against black people. The revelation that Los Angeles school cops were in possession of military arms immediately provoked a civil rights uproar. Yet, in September 2014, the school district and police department refused to return all the weapons, agreeing to hand back grenade launchers, but insisting they needed armored vehicles and rifles. While we recognize this armored vehicle is military-grade, it is nevertheless a life-saving piece of equipment that the district would not otherwise have, the school district stated. The subsequent campaign took a lot of work and time, Ashley Franklin, lead organizer for the strategy center, told Alternate. We organized on each of the blocks we work in, organized in different high school campuses, going in and doing classroom presentations at the school about how this is rooted in institutional racism. We had a phone call campaigns, turned in 3,000 petitions, and made over 300 calls to school board members. It was a long campaign, and those were just the easy tactics. Taking action clubs at multiple high schools in the district played a critical role. Young people decided to put their bodies on the line, following after Malcolm X and Fannie Lou Hamer, Franklin said. They did multiple sit-ins at the school board and disrupted meetings, declaring that this should not be business as usual. At the early February school board meeting uh, takeover, students and activists refused to leave until their demands were heard, leading to a charged scene described in the LA Times. Assistant Superintendent Earl Perkins hurried toward and motioned to camera operators with a hand slashing across his throat to cut the live video feed while meeting chairman and board member George McKenna tried to st- tried to establish order, wrote journalists Sonali Kohli and Howard Bloom. When administrators eventually left the meeting, students and activists remained, declaring at the gathering a people's school board. Monique Jones, a junior at Augustus F. Hawkins High School, was one of the young people who took action. I believe the campaign was important because every day somebody of color, black, or Latino is being shot by police officers, she told Alternate. Why would you bring those types of weapons into school campuses? It's not a war zone. You're not going to war with your own citizens and people who are in kindergarten through 12th grade. Some board members appear chast- uh, chastened, uh, chastened by the exchanges they had with students like Jones. An apology letter dated April 22nd, LAUSD school board member Monica Garcia declared, "We need for safe- the need for safety is a collective responsibility that must balance our lessons learned from history, our present challenges, and our vision for the future. Together with community partners, LAUSD has come a long way. And to use the words of the great Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., we have a long way to go. All right, we have our caller on the line. So um, we're gonna be speaking with Frank Romano. Hello. Hi, Frank. Welcome to Meet the Radio.
2: I missed it last week.
1: Oh, that's all right. Thanks so much for calling in. Uh, so I'll read your your bio first, and then we can uh, start speaking. Okay. Great. So uh, Frank Romano has earned a PhD at University of Paris One, uh, Pantheon-Sorbonne. He is a maitre de conférence, assistant tenured professor at the Université Paris-West, Nanterre La Défense in the Anglo-American Literature and Civilization Department, and a member of the California and Marseille Bars. At present, he teaches law, literature, history, and philosophy of law at the Université Paris West uh, Nanterre la Défense and practices law in France and the United States. The author actively organizes and participates in interfaith events involving Jews, Muslims, Christians, and people of other faiths in Israel and Palestine. So thank you so much for calling in.
2: My pleasure, Roman.
1: Great. So um, yeah, I'm, I was referred to you through uh, Ronaldo Ricketts, who said uh, you'd be a great person to speak with
2: yeah have um we've had several um mutual events in the San Francisco area, so i gotta thank Ronaldo for connecting me with you
1: yes yes um so yeah I'm curious about just uh, pretty much everything um especially just working within the middle East since that's always been uh just uh, an area that really needs um a lot of folks to to work together and
2: right. Absolutely. I just got back, actually, from uh, Israel and Palestine, and I've been going back and forth to Roman for, like, 10 years. Wow. This is the first time I I returned there, um, as I go back and forth a lot, uh, in a war zone. So it's actually a—they're um, it's, 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 in an intifada right now, of course, uh, not to mention what's going on in Syria and Iraq, which are just a stone's throw away. Uh, but um, I— had to i had newly uh, uh, had to use new uh, newly derived uh, creativity to to bring Muslim Jews, and Christians together on a grassroots level that's what i do uh since the politicians religious leaders tend to exacerbate uh the conflict there yes. individuals like you myself people going into the area working with the people. Uh, on both sides of the walls, both in Israel and the West Bank, uh, appear to be making progress. Uh, again, I've been doing it for ten years.
1: Wow! So, how have things changed in the in the past ten years?
2: Well, things have uh, actually gone south, gone downhill when uh-huh. it comes to any negotiations between the Israelis and the Palestinians, uh, brokered by the U.S. It's pretty well was set up for defeat for various reasons. So, what's happened is I've, I've been going in. To both Israel and the West Bank, haven't been able to get into Gaza yet. To work with individuals since 2005, I see more and more networking of individuals, mm-hmm. um, just everyday people from from uh, Israel and Palestine, building bridges between the two areas, um, and I see um, that the uh, networks forming there. FRIENDSHIP NETWORKS AND ALSO DOING PROJECTS, NOT JUST, YOU KNOW, TALKING ABOUT PEACE AND LOVE, WALKING THE TALK, I SEE REAL PROGRESS, I SEE MORE AND MORE PEOPLE MASSIVELY GETTING TOGETHER TO OPPOSE uh, WHAT THE STATE OF ISRAEL IS DOING, NOT NECESSARILY, THERE ARE A LOT OF ISRAELI JEWS THAT ARE WORKING WITH ME AS WELL THAT ARE IN OPPOSITION OF WHAT THE GOVERNMENT IS DOING with respect, in particular with respect to what's happening in the West Bank and Gaza. And I see real progress, where more and more people are banded together, becoming friends, and pressuring. And I and I also, I can give you an example of how one of these interfaith events go. But they turn around, and I encourage them to pressure their governments, whether it be the state of Israel, the Palestinian government, to get back and to negotiate. Because a lot of people come from all over the world for these events. I invite people from the U.S., Canada, Russia. Africa, Asia, um, Europe to, uh, to to participate. So at the end of the events, I encourage everyone to go back to their governments and pressure them to encourage the U.S. and Israel and, and, and Palestine to get back to negotiate. It's feasible to negotiate, but we have found that there are many people that don't want peace that are profiting from the conflict.
1: Yes, yes. Yes. Oh. Well, it's, oh, yeah, I've never, I've never been uh, to the Middle East. And as someone, I am, uh, I am Jewish by, by heritage, so there is that part of me that feels very.
2: Uh, uh-huh. My, me, myself as
1: well. Yes. yes. So, so uh, and we have a Diamond Dave who's here in the studio as well.
3: Hey, brother, I just happened to come in and hear you. And it takes me back. I lived, I'm 78. Um, uh, I'm 78. I lived in the kibbutz for a couple of years. Uh, uh, I, in fact, I turned 21 in the kibbutz. And you can do the well, math. That's before. That's 10 years before the, the Six Day War, where everything really went south and, um, yeah. in many ways. And I've often thought. For many years, many years, I'd uh, look at the wars. I would never go back there, but I think walking those paths. So I have thought of something, I've, I'm, I was thinking of something that might be good. I hear what you say about the grassroots people getting together, finding places where we can get together the grassroots, what the powers that be do, the powers that be will do. And I was wondering if you could tell me this. Well, I had a vision. I'm also with a group called Food Not Bombs. And I'm also a part of the Rainbow Family. I know they have rainbow uh-huh. gatherings in the Sinai and i was wondering is there a neighborhood like in jerusalem which is a mixed neighborhood where we could do like food not bombs and people could get together and cook together and feed the people together and bring uh, bring uh, uh, jews and palestinians uh, bring the folks together no uh, despite of what their their backgrounds could be do you hear me
2: yes um definitely there's a place for that um i'm connected um uh, when it comes to the, the um you know the areas where we can work with people in In the Israeli side, um, I'm connected a lot to East Jerusalem areas where uh, many of my Jewish friends join us with Christians Jews, Muslims, Buddhists, Baha'is, et etc join us, and we come together and have uh, meetings, conferences, and there we make strategies of how we're going to go. Some of us go with me into the West Bank to build bridges with the Palestinians and there's an absolute perfect place for that. It's really called the Peace House. It's on the Mount of Olives in East Jerusalem. But you know, many, there are Jews that that hesitate to go into East Jerusalem because it's mainly Palestinian. But they don't understand they'll be if they work with the Palestinians, they'll be welcomed with open arms. So yeah. I could suggest that as a place.
3: I th- and and what do you th- the idea of getting together and feeding the people, I don't know if you know Food Not Bombs, and feeding the people, and cooking mm-hmm. together, and, yeah. and I'm also, I happen to be, my, mother, my grandmother's a Minsk, I'm a Jew by, uh, by heritage, and my grandmother on my mother's side, but I'm also a Sufi with Rumi uh-huh. on the Sufi side, so I'm also Islamic, the, the peace and love part of Islam, and I'd uh-huh. like to bring that back, uh, and I'd, I'd like to talk to you and get some connections because I'm mm-hmm. 78 years old and I feel like uh, I feel like drawn to do that. What do you think? The spirit is yeah, feeling feel the spirit is a Sufi everything to do that. You,
2: everything you discuss there. Um, it's feasible. I mean, I've worked with Sufis. The Sufis are very active, as well as the Baha'is and Muslim Jews and Christians. The Sufis in particular, with the Kabbalists and the Baha'is, believe a lot more in the harmony of religions than the barriers, and so they tend to be very active in these interfaith peace groups. So I'm very connected with the Sufis in Jerusalem, and often some of them come to the Peace House in Mount of Olives, where we were, and that's where I stay. It's a youth hostel as well and there we can and we cook together too so cooking is a great way people do art together as well mm-hmm. great way to break exactly. the ice and work together through cooking and feeding the people because there's a great deal of poverty especially in mm-hmm. east jerusalem due, due to the conflict and so uh, yes all, all all you said it's it's very very feasible i'll be going back in a couple of months at least by september and um if you want to uh, contact me i'll leave you with my email
3: well i'll get your um, details at, for sure yeah. um, let says Rumi, Rumi, said, Rumi, back in the 15th century, Sufi says there are hundreds of ways to kneel and kiss the ground, and that's what I'm uh-huh. down with. And that, 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 when I heard, when I read that, I realized that Rumi is far more than just a poet, and that the Sufi yeah. spirit, the Sufi spirit of peace and love and understanding, we're all in this together, together, uh-huh. together, together. Definitely. And I feel really feel drawn to do this.
2: Yeah, well, i in the book that I'm. Going around, uh, it's about my nonviolent peace efforts, building bridges between mm. Israel and Palestine, with Sufis, with Muslim Jews and Christians and Bahais, etc. It's called Love and Terror in the Middle East, the fourth edition. And many people, as you have suggested, well, let's feed the people, let's build these um, bridges, let's let's m- make food together, but, uh, and uh, not just the Sufis but others. Um, I've added a chapter at the end of the book. Uh, again, it's called Love and Terror in the Middle East, fourth edition, simply to encourage people to do things even at home, because I, I share with people that, yes, I go into the war zone. I just got back for a whole month in Israel and Palestine. It was very tense. I don't know if you've seen the news. It's, a lot of it doesn't get to the mainstream news. But um, people ask me, well, I can't go with you. And pe- 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 people did join me in Israel and Palestine. They stayed in the peace house. We went to Ramallah, Jericho, Tel Aviv, um, and, um, you know, to uh, also Nablus and Hebron. Uh, but they ask me, they say, well, what can I do here at home? I said, well, believe it or not, and you're probably not going to believe me, but my work that I do, it's easy for me to get from Paris, France. I'm calling you from Paris, France, now. I'm a professor oh here. Uh, it's three hours. It's a three-hour plane trip. It's much easier, and some people have to go there, but most people can't. So all the interfaith work I do actually doesn't even begin in the Middle East. It begins at home. In mm, our know, right. own backyards, there's a lot of work to be done. To be done and so i've added a chapter at the end to encourage people to organize in their in their homes whether it be in new york california so whether it be in France, here we are other places yes yeah
3: well- well, do, you have, do you have connections in San Francisco, uh, people who are on the same page, people who are similarly looking for one another, that we can use this uh-huh. radio? I, do a, I usually do a radio show from three to six here. Uh-huh. Where we can use this radio to bring people on and talk about this vision, talk about getting on the same page, uh-huh. talk about not separating over our differences, but, right. f- but, f- but finding that. In fact, the name of my show is The Common Thread Collective, after cast Beautiful. a wide net and find the common thread and let life flourish so uh, so. what I'm looking for is the common thread because we're all oh. fellow human beings here on the planet I believe I can feel that in the spirit of what you're saying is that right?
2: exactly absolutely The, the I call it a common thread a common denominator why not focus on what's common without ignoring the differences mm. and then put aside religion and politics yes. and traditions not to ignore them but come together as one as it's meant to be yes. let's do it <laughs> Oh, yeah. You know? so, so I, I used to work in a kibbutz. I used to work in a kibbutz myself in Hukuk near Tiberias, near the Sea of Galilee. I worked with a lot of peaceniks there, so I'm connected there. But in San Francisco, you asked me what my connection was. Well, I have um, children from a former marriage. I used to practice law there. I went to Golden Gate University Law School. Right here. I, after that, I got my PhD at the Sorbonne, but I'm very much connected there. I have a lot of friends. I, stayed, I lived in the mission area. Most That's of the time I'm going to law school. So I'm I'm pretty much I'm very connected there, yes.
3: Well, let's do it. Let's make that connection, bro. I just, the, the Spirit brought me in uh, uh-huh. long before my show was supposed to start at 3, brought me in and sat me uh-huh. right down here, and I follow the Spirit. Hey, brethren, today is the first day of the rest of our life. Uh, let's do it. Exactly. Uh, shalom. Uh, for sure. I lived on uh, first time, Be- I did a upam Beit Hashita, and then I was on Kibbutz Shoval, down by Nege- in the Negev, Eliard Bersheba, which is a uh-huh. very left-wing Kibbutz. Of course, this is uh, a a long, yeah, time, ago, a long time ago, long time ago, dude. <laughs> yeah, and they were Hashemarikz here cool. on the far left, and they talked about a binational state, and that was that was just about to be forgot, I guess. The idea of Jews and Palestinians struggling together—it's been forgotten yeah. for many years. But it's time to bring it back. Yeah,
2: it's time to bring it back, and and we can. I think it, what's important, what I see on the ground, people say, "Oh, what are you doing going over there? You're wasting your time. There's going to be never peace." I see on the ground great progress made through the grassroots efforts, Mm. but I see that through our generation we're planting seeds, such as you suggested, you know, uh, common thread, building seeds. Mm. I mean, planting seeds, uh, because I don't believe in our generation anything uh, dramatic is going to happen. There's too many festering wounds Mm. and so forth, but but what we're doing our generation is planting seeds so that our children, our children's children, uh, will benefit from a whole new architecture in the Holy Land on the condition we don't give up. So I do see not artificial optimism but but serious on the ground optimism because what I see in here is what happens really and not necessarily what's in the mainstream news which is very negative.
3: Oh yes. Yeah. So, and intended
2: uh, to be negative I think.
3: And I think it's a worldwide we're to, we're focusing in the middle east but I believe it's a worldwide movement building. Uh, last Monday I was in this in Oakland with an enormous crowd of people looking at this uh-huh. little old man, Bernie, and these are mostly kids, you know, in their early twenties, who are voting uh-huh. excited for the first time, who are into something and are connecting with a movement that is uh, that uh, a movement which I think is emerging, emerging, emerging. That's what I say, brother.
2: Uh huh. No, I, I see it. I feel it. If we step up and don't give up, and 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 I, it's interesting. Because you and I have a similar vision. My vision I had in 1978, and I'm just fulfilling it now. People say, oh, you're courageous going into a a war zone. It's not about courage. It's about trying to be faithful to that vision, trying to carry it out. That's the only way to find out Mm. if anything's true. And I have found in the last 10 years that that original vision I had 30 years ago, similar to yours, uh, is, is a true vision. And, and, it, and it plays out more and more, and I see it true, and I see it, it's so important for peace activists, peace and freedom activists, to continue going into these areas. And, but important is encourage people at home to organize in the communities, because we have the same issues in our own yes. communities. Yes, yes. It, it starts at home, it really does, and it branches out like throwing a pebble on a, on, a, on a calm lake to the world, but it really does start at home, and so I encourage people, WHEN I'M HOME, AND I WAS, I WAS THERE IN THE BERKELEY AREA, I WAS THERE IN OREGON VISITING FAMILY, I WAS IN NEW YORK, I ORGANIZED A CONFERENCE, ONE OF THE PANELS AT THE LEFT FORUM, THE LEFT FORUM, YOU PROBABLY, probably HEARD I ABOUT, know about it. The, THE PANEL WAS CALLED ACTIVISM FOR PEACE IN ISRAEL AND PALESTINE, and IT WAS VERY WELL RECEIVED, IT WAS A FULL HOUSE, AND I HAD SPEAKERS THERE, SO I WENT FROM NEW YORK TO CALIFORNIA, AND, and, and WHEN I AM IN THE STATES, I TRY TO ENCOURAGE people to get active, and I try to be active with them in their communities to just try to share and learn. I learn from you folks. It's not about me in a condescending way dishing out information. I learn from the communities. I learn from the people, and I take it right back to the Middle East and apply it. During my groups, I get great suggestions in our interfaith groups. So it all works together if we have that vision to bring people together as brothers and sisters for peace and, and, and keep that love generation going mm. we can make it happen well, we that's... can make it happen and and i'm and i'm and i'm really i'm, I'm really thankful to hear hear this from you
3: yeah, well, I'm 78 years old, born in 1937, so I, uh-huh. I, I go way back to see it, and my memories of the kibbutz, of course, is 1959, 60, before, way before the Six-Day uh-huh. War, when you'd come, you'd, 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 uh, so the kibbutz was really the kibbutz, people eating together, sharing together, talking about the binational state, that was kibbutz, uh, kibbutz Shoval uh, of Eliard Bersheba, so hey, brother, I wanted this to be the first day of the rest of our lives. I believe the spirit happened to bring me through the door to talk to you and share this oh. vision and uh, and it's up to us now to keep it going, keep this connection. We have these various tools uh, that we're talking about, like you and I talking now and being heard around the planet, these tools we never had before, so let's put them to good use, not to bad poop use. Do you hear me, bro?
2: I hear you. I'm, I'm with you all the way. Well, let's um, do it. And I hope we, we can stay in touch. Um, Roman has yes. my email, but it's it's Frank Fro F R A N K F is in Frank R O Frank Fro at AOL dot com. Contact me anytime. I'll be probably back. I uh, will definitely be back in the Bay Area in July, um, at the end of July, and then uh, up in Oregon and the Bay Area in August. Uh, most of August I'll be in Oregon, but maybe we can get together and um, you know Not talk too. about and what we can do worldwide because this is a worldwide issue. Yes. You know, know, um, planting seeds of unconditional love and brotherhood and sisterhood is what it's all
3: about. And that's uh, to bring the spirit in. Some of the generations, some of the people who were for this ignored the spirit, uh, They ignored the spirit, but I believe we both know that the spirit is necessarily part of it, whether you be a Sufi, whether you be a Muslim, a Christian, all of that, whatever roots you come out of, we're we're reaching, we're getting on this... uh, we're getting out of the box we've put in, getting on the same page, and we're definitely pushing the envelope. Hey, bro, that's uh, that's, uh, that's the spirit that I'm, uh, and I can feel in you, too, and feel in us here. And this is what uh, what, what this uh, Mutiny Radio is all about, and we're finding that common thread, and we're letting it flourish. Thank yeah.
2: Well, God bless you, man. I think that's what it's all about, oh, too. God bless you. It's good energy, and appreciate your work in the Bay Area. And there's a lot of active people there. My daughter lives in Berkeley. Uh, my son is in South Bay. I used to practice law there. I used to have my law firm. Just to, you know, I basically represented victims in accidents and mm. immigration since I speak Spanish. I did business law. I don't practice law anymore there, but I, I, you know, it, it is a very active place. There are a lot of concerned people there, and let that yes. be if, there's, if that let that be a center then to, to uh, push out, raise of love and understanding um i, I just uh, you know when people say well let's make a change worldwide you know let's make our change ourselves individually and then let's go from where we are and make it make it a center of love it, we need to make it now uh, not tomorrow right yep. because of the urgency it's always urgent it's always been historically yeah, well, today more than ever
3: 70. well what came to me just before i turned 78 and uh-huh. I'm just thinking, oh, I'm an old man. Now it's all almost 80 years old, blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. And then dude, the voice of the spirit. She speaks to me when I really need it. And here's what she said. She said, learn to love. Love to learn. This never ends. I thought for a moment. <laughs> learn to love. Loves to to love to learn. Never ends. I said, "That's right. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing." Oh, by the way, I'm no my I'm not, my name. I'm known as uh, Diamond Dave. I don't know if you know me, but I've been a with of KPO Dave? radio. I'm here right now, Diamond Dave Whitaker. W H I T A K E R. You Diamond can Dave Google Whittaker, me and huh? get some of the some of the out of which I come. Diamond uh-huh. Dave Whitaker. Hey, brother.
2: Okay, I'll look you up, man and let's connect you say you, say you have, a, you have your own uh, radio show
3: I do from 3 to 6 usually I'm on my way I'm not doing this because my co-host isn't here I hope to do a, a short one but usually oh. I'm every uh, every Friday 3 to 6 but I'm heading off for my, uh, but Val will be here my co-host and I'll be calling in I'm he- heading right. off for what I call my what the people call my North American tour every year oh. I, do you know the Rainbow Gathering
2: Yes, I'm I've never been a part of it. I just never been able to to do it on my schedule. But yes, definitely. Where's I've been that, doing it for 40 years,
3: and this year we're going to be in the Green Mountains, Vermont, and I'll be there, uh-huh. and I'll be connecting. I'm not leaving till the 10th. That's pretty soon, but let's connect, uh-huh. and I'll bring them that okay. message because you'll find a lot of friendly people there. Who, as far away, from what you hear, I'm really down with this message. Am I right? From what you've heard?
2: Yes, absolutely. I'm definitely, and uh, we're definitely on the same page here. And I appreciate, Diamond, your, your feedback and your encouragement and, 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 and sharing your information with me.
3: Well, I we'll just to have to walk to the door. We'll
2: make, it, we'll, we'll, we'll make it in our own way a better world.
3: Fuck yeah. Gotta
2: do it. And we'll just keep it going.
3: Yeah. And as, uh, as Rumi says, as Rumi wrote, there are hundreds of ways to kneel and kiss the ground. Uh-huh. In other words, we're always kneeling and kissing the ground. Once we realize what's going on yeah. and how yeah. the earth is so sacred, what Jesus said, be in continual prayer. He didn't mean like the fundamentalist. He meant that uh, Rumi was a uh, was a dervish. Dervish, dervish and Farsi. Uh, the Farsi word is, uh, dervish is the Farsi word for doorway, and that's the doorway right. between the two worlds: right. the world within right. and the world without. And we both have, a, we all have a foot in both camps. Am I right?
2: Absolutely, the whirling they believe very much that the, the whirling der- dervish and their dance, it's all about harmony, R- religious and worldwide harmony and peace and love, that's what it's all about and I always welcome those folks, um, you know, to work with us.
3: Well, we're going to be working together because we, we already are. We just didn't, re, didn't know it until I happened to walk through this door and thanks for my brother here. We, we, uh, you in Paris, and uh, you in the door, I can only say the spirit. If we follow the spirit, it will help make it happen, you know?
2: Yeah, we will make it happen. We just continue working on it, following the path. Yes. Oh, yeah. Knowing full well, you know, like Ramakrishna. I try to be inspired by Ramakrishna, who, you know, he was a Hindu and then he became a... He converted to Jude, uh, Christianity and then Islam, returned to Hinduism, but he said, Brothers and sisters, let me just share with you. Look at the church. Look at the, uh, look at the individual church. Take a look at the hymnal, the hymns, the rituals. Don't, don't confuse God. Don't confuse the divine spirit with the church. The church and the rituals, it's just a vehicle, mm. and there are several vehicles to the cosmic light. And that helped me understand when I ever get entrenched in one particular religion, thinking that it is the only one. Thinking of what he shared with us.
1: Yes. Yes. So, um, so uh, wrapping up, what what do you feel um, you'd like to see within, or what's I'd say realistic within the next few months or a few years?
2: Yeah. The the sort of what I see is for each individual. What I feel is each individual find out what their passion is you know and and and, and not worry about being judged mm-hmm. if if their passion happens to be doing what i do then i welcome them or, or doing it in their own way though i mean bringing people together in an interfaith way worldwide um and understanding each other working with each other not just talking about peace and love mm-hmm. so what i'm trying to say is walking the talk for instance, talking about peace and love and the Mount of Olives and in Israel and in, in the West Bank is one thing, but then carrying out, that's what I see in the future, Roman, carrying out these peace and love, feel-good moments. Yes. That's what's important. It's not just feeling good and saying, I love you, brother and sister, but then going back to our racist, segregation, segregated and ignorant ways. So we peace and love, brother and sister, and then walking the talk. One of the things I organize that I see uh, for the future Roman mm-hmm. is more and more activities but real projects. For instance we'll take the same group Muslim, Jew, Christian, Sufi, Baha'i, etc and go in to Bethlehem for instance, which is in the West Bank, it's not in Israel, where there was a, a, a there was a school that was destroyed during the Antifada. We'll rebuild the school. It happened to be, it was originally a yeshiva, a, a school to learn is, uh, Judaism in, and we, we'll rebuild it as an international school with the same group of mixture, mixture of people, where the real bonding takes place when we do these projects together. So I see... The carrying out, walking the talk of peace and love through these projects is how we really bond with these multinational uh, grassroots efforts groups. And then I see a future with these same people that are networking together, doing things, not just talking about peace, but actually doing them, carrying them out, or going into the communities. like. Like Diamond said, in feeding the people, that's a way to walk the talk. Mm-hmm. Talk about you love people. Well, let's see how it's manifested in actions. And then each individual going back to their governments to pressure their government. Mm. Then it gets a little political to go, to go back and negotiate because there is it's a feasible it's feasible to negotiate peace between Israel and the Palestinians. And again, I think the biggest reason is the politicians and the religious leaders get involved, skew the whole thing. Yes. And frankly, the biggest. Um, you know, biggest challenge to peace in the Holy Land are the interest groups that are are are, are making profits from the conflict oh, yeah, and exactly. don't really the, the peace efforts. The big oh, I have a point. I
3: wondered, it's, yeah, well, first of all, I want to say it's almost 1 o'clock. It's 12.55 p.m. here, okay. San Francisco time. Yeah. I don't know what time it is where you are. But I'd like it's, you to uh, figure it's it, almost it out. 10 o'clock. My show it's is almost, from 3 to 6 PM. next Friday. And will you call... Uh, uh, let's say 3.30, call 3.30 next Friday. Uh, it's the same number. I'd like to talk uh-huh. to you. Give it, that will give me a, a week to think about it. And what okay. is, I want to have a poem that I'd, so like to, I'd like to put out to you. So 3.30 p.m. your time, next Friday, the same number. And I,
2: and same I same number,
3: Common Thread Collective. My uh, co-host uh, 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 now right, will be back, she'll have pick it. up okay. the phone, but let me leave you this, uh, just the beginning of this poem. Give what uh-huh. you need, give what you can, where uh-huh. you can, when you can, however you can, in other words, lend a hand. What happens then? Strangers become friends, friends become family, family becomes community, and community is on the move. That's our movement, because, hey, we were brought together for a reason, and that reason is that we love one another. Brought together for a reason, that reason is we heal one another. Brought together for a reason, that reason is we complete one another. Brought together for a reason, that reason is we complement one another. Like what? Yin and yang, left and right, up and down, old and young, man and woman, rock and roll. Hey, brother, it's really good talking to you.
2: Thank you. I'll call you at three thirty Friday then. Oh, yeah, Diamond, yeah. the same number then. Perfect. God bless you. God bless right. both of you guys. All
3: right.
1: Well thank you so much for calling in, Frank. It
3: was
2: welcome, wonderful Roman. to hear from you. You bet.
1: Uh, keep up the great work.
2: Okay. And thank you. you're you're doing a great work for having me people on this and broadcasting this. Uh, you are you're you're walking the talk by doing it and I appreciate it. Absolutely.
1: I do my best. I'm
3: not the voice, but a voice. Of social, All cultural, right. political, and personal change.
1: All right. Well thank you bless so much, you Frank. Folks. Bless you too.
3: Take care. You thank too. Thank you.
1: Bye all right. right now. All right. Okay. Bye bye. All right. Well, thank you so much, Frank Romano, for calling in, and for Diamond Dave for stopping by, um, and uh, adding to the conversation. So, coming up next, we'll be speaking with Kathy Howard. We're gonna take a quick music break for a bit while we get all set up. Uh, so, stay tuned, and we'll be back in a bit. Welcome back to the Weekly Review. Uh, I am joined here by Kathy Howard. Thank you so much for coming in, Kathy.
4: Thank you very much for having me.
1: Sure. So we're going to be discussing Prop B, which will be on the ballot uh, this Tuesday, June 7th. Yes, that's right.
4: And um, if you'd like, I can give you a little bit of background on the proposition and what it is and stuff like that. Please do. So um, Proposition B is a charter amendment and it it's being put on the ballot and people vote on it and what this means is that it changes our city charter and it also means that everything in prop b cannot be changed unless there's another ballot initiative, and some people think, well, we this isn't that important because we can just get the board of supervisors or the mayor to change it, but when you think about the initiative process and how difficult it is to do, yes. um, if we had that, then people would have an initiative, they'd get signatures, they get it passed, and then all of a sudden the board would meet and say, no, we've changed our mind, we're not going to do this, so people need to understand that this is kind of going to be written in stone unless there's another ballot initiative. I see. So what, what does it do? So what it does is um, Prop B gives the Recreation and Park Department over $4.5 billion, and that's with a B, wow. dollars <laughs> over the next 30 years. Um, and the, the, the department funding is interesting. They get funding from various sources, including appropriations, from something called the discretionary funds of the general uh, fund and these funds are also used to fund other non-enterprise departments like enterprise department makes its own money like the airport sustains itself but Rec and park does not so we get money from the budget which makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. Currently, during the yearly budget process, the Board of Supervisors holds hearings and decides which departments get those funds. And this could be the Department of Children, Youth, and Families. Uh, it could be Department of Public Works. It could be the Health Department, Recreation, and Park Department. These are all important departments, and this is decided every year. But with Proposition B, the funding, the $4.5 billion now, becomes part of a set-aside. And what that means is that money is basically sacrosanct. The Board of Supervisors is not going to be able to touch this money. So here are some of the things that are going to happen if Prop B passes. First of all, this $4.5 billion is mandated exclusively for Rec and Park. And this is going to be for a 30-year period. So for 30 years, that money total goes to Rec and Park. Um, the only way to change that would be a charter amendment. Now, Some people are very happy with how the parks are run, Mm -hmm. but what we ask people to think is, we're going to have new administrations over the next 30 years. Are you sure that someone you trust or like is going to be in charge of your park and they're going to do what you want Mm -hmm. with the park? Yes. 30 years is basically a long time to cut loose a department and let them do whatever they want. Uh, The controller in the ballot booklet says that it's going to have a significant impact on the cost to government. And how this happens is because this money is set aside, then if we have an emergency, um, Zika virus gets out of hand, we have that earthquake we all know is going to happen someday, Yes. then you're not going to be able to go to this $4.5 and, mm. and use it. That has to go for Wreck-and-Park. Oh. So some people have joked with me, well, if we're living in the parks, <laughs> 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 at least they'll look nice. Yeah. Um, but nothing else <laughs> will be able to get fixed with that money. Right. So uh, health problems, homeless problems, everything, mm. nothing will be able to get that funding. Um, so the other thing is that a few years back, uh, the voters passed a policy. It was non-binding. Binding. But it was a policy that if there were set-asides, they had to meet certain limited regulations, which this doesn't fit. So if you re- look at your ballot booklet, which I recommend in the controller's statement, the controller is really very unhappy with Proposition B. Mm. So when when the guy in charge of the finances for the city is unhappy, then you really need to think about it. Yes. Another thing about it is people think, well, you know, it's going to go for maintenance, it's going to fix things up, things like that, but... This is not a bond. A bond will have a list of projects. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing specific about what the money will be spent on. Yes. In this legislation. Yeah. Yeah. And people are kind of worried about it. People tried to get something specific, like Mm -hmm. so much, uh, so many billion for our urban forests, things like that. And there's very minimal controls over how the money can be spent. So you have a loss of control over how it's spent Mm -hmm. and how much is spent.
1: And transparency, it sounds like, as well.
4: Transparency is, um, yeah, is, is always an issue. Um, now, when people were working on this legislation, one of the things they got written into it was something called an equity analysis. So an equity analysis means, according to legislation, that the department has to uh, create a, a kind of a, a table on the money and how it's going to be spent in different parts of the city and show that it will be spent equally all over the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the legislation says that the Board of Supervisors can review this analysis, but it also says they can only comment on it. Oh. And this is where you're going to hear from the other side, oh, we don't have to worry about it. Board of Supervisors can vote on it. No. actually. The controller wrote that in the ballot booklet, but he made a mistake, and he has rescinded that statement and said, no, the Board of Supervisors cannot control how Rec and Park spends the money. Mm. In fact, nobody will be able to control how they spend the money. So you have a department that's going to come up with a system for equity analysis. They're going to write it, and then they're going to decide if they followed it or not. And this is the kind of internal only reporting that people are very concerned about with this department because a lot of people feel there hasn't been accountability. Yes. Um, things like uh, the decision to rent Kezar Stadium to a semi-professional soccer team and to serve hard drinks there, which has never been done before. Huh. The uh, decision by the Rec and Park Commission to um, Possibly have the palace fine arts made into a private hotel. <laughs> I don't know ugh. if you've heard about that.
1: I, yeah, yes, that's. Ugh. I don't have the words to <laughs> express my anger about that.
4: And that and that came through a, a procedure where people submitted proposals for it. Well, there are arts groups that would like to use it. There are recreation groups that would like to use it. I mean, this is recreation and park department property. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd like to ask, do we have so much space and so many buildings that we can afford to give it over to a completely commercial private enterprise no. for 55 years? Ugh, no. And what happens when you do it for that long time is people forget that it's public property.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, it's been a big issue. And certainly earlier when you mentioned like homeless, mm-hmm. and I know like a lot of folks, I've heard that there are the, the sweeps that definitely are the sweeps happening for homeless folks, especially even in the parks. I've heard of people having their possessions removed. So I'm curious as to um, if the funds could allocate uh, to ensuring that home that people have places to stay where people, I'm just, uh, I'm not sure how to ar- articulate what I'm, what I'm trying mm-hmm. to ask, but I just recognize that like a lot of folks have used parks over the years as mm-hmm. places t- to stay and then they've been kind of kicked out of the parks. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering what can be done to ensure that people have a place to stay, whether that's in a park or wherever they feel safe.
4: Um, And the the whole homeless problem is a very serious one, and I think it does need to be addressed a little more effectively. Yeah. It's an understatement by the city. Sure, sure. However, this money could go to park rangers, and park rangers have been part of the homeless sweeps in the park. Yeah. So one of the, um, some of the people that I've been talking to are very concerned about the fact that the department has made a misstatement that we are going to hire a lot more park rangers. Oh. So the park ranger issue, I I actually advocated years ago for some more park rangers because we really didn't have enough. But um, what we wanted was park rangers who were more like the national park rangers used to be, which is educational. Yes, yes. A presence. If you have a ranger in a park and a presence and they talk to you mm-hmm. and um, you, you get better feeling for it and they, they kind of prevent bad behavior. Yes, yeah. But the park rangers as... Only the authority, or I'm sorry, authority figure, I think, is a mistake because then people don't have that friendly feeling we used to have towards national park rangers.
1: Absolutely.
4: And this money, I have been told um, that the department said that they would be hiring a lot more park rangers.
1: Mm. I've noticed even in Dolores Park, like, there is some rangers there, and I had a, not quite an altercation, but there was a situation a few months ago, it was right when the, I guess the left side of the park had reopened and Mm -hmm. just the presence, just, it's a very small park. It is. And the idea that there would be this, and they definitely felt like the authoritarian kind of feelings from them. Mm -hmm. And the idea that that would, there'd be that, that kind of energy in a, in a park like that just felt really um, unsettling to me.
4: Well, the whole Dolores park fiasco is unsettling that you have to now pay money to rent a piece of lawn. Yes. And I think that, having a reservation for a picnic table makes sense um paying a lot of money for it doesn't i believe that supervisor Peskin is introducing legislation for new projects and new parks to eliminate mm-hmm. that because frankly we spent 20 million fixing up dolores park wow. i mean the figures are extraordinary <laughs> <laughs> so and and now in addition to us, I mean, we paid for that, okay? wreck park didn't take a, a collection among the staff. The taxpayers paid, and now we're supposed to go pay to sit on the grass. Mm. Um, there, the Open Space Fund, which is part of this legislation, is was really intended to buy new land for parks, but mm-hmm. it, only, it has a very limited amount, and... It has not been used very much for that. If we took the 20 million for Dolores Park, think of the parkland you could buy here in the Mission, where people would have more parks. Yes. So it wouldn't be so totally crazy. Yes, yes. You don't need to have expensive equipment. All a park needs is a little grass and trees. Yeah. And people will come see it. Yes. But we will not be able to have any control over what happens with this if this legislation passes, because the board will not be voting on the budget in June every year. They will not be voting on no. this money that's gonna be set aside. Um, to get back to the Palace of Fine Arts, just to give you an idea of how tone deaf the department can be, uh, a bunch of people got together and they started a petition on, I think it was on change.org. Mm-hmm. And they've gotten over 20,000 signatures on it. Yeah. And they went down to the Rec and Park Commission and they just said, uh, well, yeah, but so what? so well. this is the problem that we have with a department that that does things like this and ignores really what people want because it has it has its own agenda which is a commercialization mm. and privatization of our parks Ugh. and this will basically cut them loose to do that Ugh. um i think i've covered the main points i i know we I I got kind of involved in this late, and we talked to a lot of different organizations, and the League of Pissed Off Voters Mm -hmm. isn't isn't one we went to, and I was really glad to see that um, they came out with No on B. Yes, yes. Um, Some other organizations are uh, the Sierra Club Mm -hmm. Bay Chapter is No on B because Mm -hmm. they're very concerned about the direction the department has taken. Yes. Uh, interestingly enough, the usually conservative League of Women Voters mm-hmm. is also no on B. And they have a firm policy against set-asides. They mm. think that set-asides are a really bad way to run government. Mm-hmm. If our set-asides keep going at the pace they've been going, we won't even need to have budget meetings because the entire city budget <laughs> will be set aside. And to think that our current increase in um, income and revenue is going to go up is crazy because we've all yep. been through the dot-com bust. Yes. And when it happens again, I mean, there's a good possibility all will be left is set asides. Yes. So they are against that. The Coalition for San Francisco Neighborhoods has been concerned about the privatization of the parks for mm-hmm. quite a while. Uh, San Francisco Tomorrow has been concerned about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are are various. Democratic clubs. The DCCC voted yes, but we know that they really have a long, um, large real estate development Mm -hmm. bent right now. Um, Supervisor Aaron Peskin Mm -hmm. and Supervisor Katie Tang Mm. did not vote to support this legislation. Okay. And I spoke to Supervisor Tang about it, and uh, she said that, well, she was very concerned about the set-asides, that she fiscally tries to be responsible and she was concerned about that, and Supervisor Peskin has said the same thing. Yes. Um, I, don't, I have a list somewhere <laughs> with sure. all the groups, which I'll try to find. But, oh, sure. Um, I think um, one other thing that's very interesting is uh, the um, Bay Guardian
1: mm-hmm.
4: has come out no one on B, mm-hmm. and uh, I'd l- just like to read you something that they wrote. Yeah. Um, so they have supported a set aside for the children's fund in the past, but children cannot vote. Parks are important, but are they more important than housing, Mm. homeless services, or public health? Is it more important to have money for open space than for critical psych emergency beds at SF General? These are the discussions that need to be held every year. Uh, And then he said, we're a big supporter of parks and open space, but we are not fans of the current management of the Rec Park Department. The general manager seems to think that privatization and monetizing the parks is a great idea, and we don't. And he gives some examples. And he says it took a ballot measure to keep him from turning Coit Tower into a corporate party center. So that's that's the Guardian. And then on the other side, we yeah. have the Chronicle, which yes. also came out, no one be. Oh. And they say that uh, there's something wrong with putting such budget guarantees in the city charter for 30 years without a defined revenue source, mm-hmm. as if those annual increases would drift like magic from the heavens. <laughs> It's flatly disingenuous for those glossy mailers to assure voters in underlying letters that parks funding would come, quote, without raising taxes, unquote. They should have added the clause, we hope.
5: <laughs>
4: <laughs> I didn't know the Chronicle had a sense of humor, but yeah, I guess they do.
5: <laughs>
4: <laughs> the fact is, the money will need to come from somewhere. It takes a huge leap of faith to assume the next decade, let alone the next 30 years, will not present the city with a crisis that will require spending cutbacks or diversions to urgent priorities. And when that comes, whether economic downturn, natural disaster, health crisis, or terrorism, or Lord knows what, the recreation and park budget would remain sacrosanct. Hmm. So that seems like a pretty strong statement yeah, coming from the Chronicle. It's
1: a great endorsement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mentioned earlier that the Green Party also uh, says to vote no on B Mm -hmm. so another it's also great to have support from
4: it is great to have it from the Green Party yes yeah
1: one would think nothing less of you know or one would expect that from the Green Party so and
4: and again that was something um that they did come up with independently Mm -hmm. and uh Somebody said, well, there's only one argument in the voter pamphlet, and that's the Libertarian Party, which I do recommend mm-hmm. people read. It's an excellent argument. Okay. And the fact is that this caught a lot of us by surprise. Mm. We just weren't paying attention. Yeah. We thought, well, there will be a set aside. How is, how is that a problem? There was a little bit before. There will be a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And then we read the legislation mm. and found out how serious it is. Mm.
1: Well, I'm glad, I mean, it's, and I I wonder, like, if I hadn't, like, I would have received the, the, you know, the Green Party mailer in -hmm. the mail, but I feel like I was more, once I met you, because before I met you, I really had no idea that this was going to be on the ballot at all, Mm -hmm. so it's so important, just like through word of mouth, also just to get the word out.
4: Yes, yeah, please tell people, um, we've been uh, tweeting the last few days Mm -hmm. through a group um, that I've been working with, at SF. As in San Francisco, SF Ocean Edge. So mm-hmm. if you go to at SF Ocean Edge and then retweet, that would be great. Or you can type in hashtag NoOnPropB. Okay. And then <clears throat> if you could just forward those, we've done been doing quite a few. Yeah. And that would help a lot with getting the word out yes. I think that's the point we're at we have flyers if anyone mm-hmm. wants to go to our website and sure. we'll be glad to give you flyers but we just have a few days and we have posters and all that good stuff yes. but uh, yes. as I said we did kind of get into it late but mm-hmm. after, as of um, a few days ago we've got I guess at least 15 major organizations that are uh, opposed to this Wonderful. And, and I think I have talked to a lot of people who have said if I knew more about it I would have voted against it mm-hmm. So we really appreciate being able to come on your show.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah.
4: <sighs> cool. Well, we're we're available to take
1: calls if if folks would like to call in and have any questions or comments that they would like to to share. You can call in, and our phone number is four one five 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 zero zero five one one, and uh, you can reach us here at Mutiny Radio. Uh, yeah, so Tuesday should be quite an interesting day here I in San Francisco. I think it be.
4: Yeah, yeah. I think I found my list. Okay. Oh, sure. Um, so here are some of the organizations that have come out for No 1B. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the South Market Business Association, the Central City Democrats, and if you get a call, you can interrupt oh, me. sure. Yeah, we do have a call. Oh, okay, the great. Line.
1: Hello, Mutiny Radio.
3: Uh, oh, hi there. Hello?
1: Hi, thanks for calling in. Hi, um, uh,
3: is,
6: is this by radio?
1: Oh yeah, this is, uh, is Newton Radio.
6: Hi, um, my name is Greg, and I have a question for your guest. Sure. And my question is, um, I understand Wreck-and-Park uh, won't, ha- r- rather the Board of Supervisors won't have any control over the funds that we're talking about for 30 years, but there is this Wreck-and-Park Commission, which is a public uh, commission, uh, why aren't they sufficient oversight for the use of all these funds?
4: Okay, that that's a very good question, and I, I appreciate it because people do ask about that. Uh, the reason is that the Reck and Bark Commission is really, I, I hate to say it, pretty much a rubber stamp group at this time. It's not a split appointment like the Planning Commission. If you go to the Planning Commission, you're going to see great knockdown drag-out fights between the commissioners and people actually go down there because they think there's hope of, of getting a say. The Reckham Park Commission is um, completely appointed by the mayor, and the general manager of the department is also selected by the mayor from a slate that the commission proposes. So this was all part of the rewrite of the city charter a few years back. It's called a strong mayor system. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the commissions were set up this way, and they're gradually drifting into more of split commissions with split appointments so that you can get both sides of issues. We did a study a few years back on the Rec and Park Commission voting patterns and we took a, I think it was about 127 votes in a row and we looked at how they voted and they all voted to approve the projects. There were no um, it was all eyes, they were all unanimous except I think one or two had a few people who weren't there and didn't vote, mm-hmm. so if you go to a commission hearing, you'll notice that the chair will say all in favor and they'll say aye,' and he never says All opposed, which by the way is a violation, I believe of sunshine. He never says that they do not do a a roll call vote, which they're supposed to do, mm-hmm. but you're not you're not going to see anybody opposing it, I think. One person once voted against the commercialization of the boathouse at Lake, and I was at that meeting, and I thought the guy was going to collapse in terror at going against the rest of the commissioners. That Mm -hmm. was my, it was a very courageous thing to do, and that was my personal reading of it, because everybody kind of swiveled and looked at him like, what are you doing? You're not supposed to vote it. So go to a commission hearing, or you can now watch them on TV, and you'll see what happens. Yes. I've seen people go down there with very serious concerns that are pretty much, yeah, yeah, okay, we'll look into it and nothing happens. It's very sad, I think, the people who are chosen are sincere, but they're all chosen, they have a mindset ahead of time to Mm. try to do what the department wants. Mm. That's my personal opinion, but that's what I've seen happen over and over again. So the commission is not gonna help you. Don't expect the commission to help you. Wow. It's really unfortunate.
1: Yeah, that that does sound unfortunate. Yeah. And
4: that is something, um, we, we tried a few years back to get a split appointment for the commission, and that, again, would have taken six votes. We tried to do it through the Board of Supervisors, mm-hmm. and we had five supervisors lined up, and the, we couldn't we couldn't get the sixth person oh. to do it. And I think that's really unfortunate. Uh, people bat around different ideas, should it be split? Like the Planning Commission is split, four appointed by the mayor and three by the board. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that means that there, you have to really persuade a swing vote yes. to get what you want. I'm not quite sure that that would be the best thing. Some people have proposed a 3-4 split. Others have said maybe the whole commission should be elected, mm-hmm. which I think would be interesting, and it does happen some places. Um, there might be problems with it because it's always expensive to run for something like that. Yeah. But maybe there is some sort of combination of appointments and election that we can do so people can go down there and if they aren't listened to they have some sort of recourse. Mm. Our parks are really important and what happens to them and they are also a gold mine of land in the city. Yes. And park fixing up parks can be a kind of patronage system too. Mm-hmm. So if you're unhappy or you oppose certain policies are you not going to get money for your district for parks? Mm there's a lot of people who think that that's part of what happens. I see. So that is one of the reasons that we really need to take back control of our parks.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
4: Yeah.
1: Cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing all this information. <laughs> I feel so much more informed
4: Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know how much time we have. I could read some of the other organizations. Sure. Oh, are, yeah, please. That are no one being. Yeah. Um, So I think I started with Central City Democrats, and this is alphabetical. Oh, we have another call on the line. Oh, we have another call. Great. Okay.
1: Hello, Mutiny Radio.
7: Hi Um, Uh, hi there. I'm listening online. Uh, I would like to talk about Natural Areas Program. I don't know if you know about it.
4: The Natural Areas Program? Yes. Uh, I know
7: it's proposition B, and I am basically against proposition B because uh, the natural area program will be fully funded and will go ahead with destruction of the trees and you know using pesticides. C-
1: can you speak up a little bit, please? I'm sorry. Can, can you speak up a little bit, please?
7: Uh, yes. Thank you. Uh, natural areas program. Uh, do you know about it?
4: I'm I'm a little familiar with it, but I bet you are a lot more familiar with it.
7: Oh, I, I, I hear myself on the radio now. Um,
4: you need to turn your radio down.
7: Okay. Um, the thing is, they're planning to cut uh, 18,500 trees in the city parks. The plan has been developed the ERI has been done, and it's about to be certified, and it's totally insane at the time of the accelerating global warming. And people just are not familiar with it. And if Proposition B is funded, then Natural Areas Program, uh, if Proposition B goes through, then Natural program, uh, Natural Areas Program will be funded funded fully, and it will proceed uh, speedily. And I think it's insane uh, to cut all those trees. Um, and, uh, you know, that's my comment. And that's why I'm against the B.
4: Okay, yeah, I have I have heard that, and I think um, this concern about one particular program, which is extremely controversial, the Natural Areas Program, I have... Uh, friends on both sides of this issue, and um, there are people we do need to protect and preserve native plants, but we also have parks that people need to use, and there is a the concern about loss of trees hmm. and canopy uh, as part of this program. And one of the problems with Proposition B is it doesn't say what the money is going to be used for. And so if the department wants to proceed ahead with the major natural areas program and cutting down trees, there will be no way that this can be stopped. Mm. And for people who are in favor of that, I ask you to think of the opposite side, that if um, a different administration comes in and says that native plants are just not worth it, forget about it. We want to have parks that people can run around in, et cetera, et cetera. Then you could lose your natural areas. So I think that Prop B cuts both ways in that we don't know what the money will be used for, and we're going to lose control over 30 years.
7: Mm. You know, it's not about protecting native plants, actually. It's about destroying our forest. It's about destroying our parks Uh, and about the use of the most toxic herbicides. It's always projected as protecting, I mean, promoted as protecting native plants, but in fact, uh, it's not. And then what is native? How do you define native? Why is it 250 years ago? Uh, It's quite crazy program.
4: Uh, And I think those are all valid questions that that deserve to be considered by an impartial body, which is not the Recreation and Park Commission. And I know about the herbicide-pesticide concerns. Also um, I worked uh, trying to prevent uh, the western end of Golden Gate Park from being covered with artificial turf, and now we're finding that the um, ground-up tires used in those fields are linked very strongly with cancer in young soccer players all over the country. Oh, wow. And we tried to get a different kind of arrangement set up for that project uh, where um, there were other alternatives and the department was just adamant in doing what they were going to do and they weren't willing to listen. Uh, We even had to take it to the ballot. We had 98,000 people who voted to keep Golden Gate Park grass, and but we didn't have the $800,000, which is another disturbing thing about all of this, which is the amount of money. Our little no on B campaign, I think we've spent a couple of hundred dollars, maybe. There's $400,000 out there. $100,000 for yes on B from Airbnb. Oh. And uh, 25000 I believe, from Thomas Coates, a man who tried to destroy rent control in San Francisco. Oh. Ron Conway has... Oh donated money. So what are these people buying? I, I mean, I, I never heard that Airbnb was like a tree hugger company or anything like that. There's some kind of influence, um, seeking influence that they're doing by donating all this money. So 400000 for all those mailers that you get out there in your mailbox, just remember that that's where it's coming from. Yeah. And consider, consider the source. And what do these organizations expect to get from all of this money they're spending. Mm,
1: yes. So we have, an, we have another caller on the line. Okay.
6: Oh, hi. Hi, Rowan, uh, Kathy. Uh, this is Tom, and I, I called it. I got in late, but did you guys already talk about the, the, the error in the voter information pamphlet?
4: A little bit, but uh, why don't you go ahead?
6: Uh, I've actually discovered this and uh, in, investigated with the controller's office, and the thing I find really uh, distressing about this is that, the, you know, that the controller said that, you know, the Prozac and, and the Board of Supervisors had to approve Rec Park plans, and, and that's actually not correct, that uh, there were multiple drafts of the controller's statement that were reviewed by uh, Supervisor Farrell's office and by Phil Ginsberg, the general manager of Rec and Park, and neither of them caught this mistake, which is pretty glaring, um, and I, I just, you know, this this misinformation has spread all over the place. There was just a, I just saw a newsletter from Jake Sig, who's, uh, you know, a big proponent of our parks and, uh, and a good guy, but even he is saying, you know, just sort of propagating this mistake uh, about the Board of Supervisors having any control uh, if this measure passes, and I, I really just wonder how much it's going to skew the election and and uh you know cuz nobody seems to be able to do anything about it now it's all water under the bridge
4: um i think that the controller's letter is unfortunate that he said they have control if you um and you're right about the legislation what happen what it says in the legislation and this is the thing that one of the things that got me interested in it they say um that uh, the department does these strategic plans and capital plans and everything, and the Board of Supervisors, according to legislation, shall consider and by resolution express its approval or disapproval of the plan, but they may not modify the plan. Mm -hmm. If they express disapproval of the plan or make recommendations regarding the plan to the department, the department may modify and resubmit the plan. And if anybody, I mean, it's Plain English, everybody knows in legalese if they said shall, it would mean they had to. But may means they can just say, hey, thanks, thanks. we really appreciate your ideas and we're not going to do it. And these plans where the equity analysis and everything are then what's reviewed later on when the budget is reviewed and when the controller does his review and stuff, and people say there are all these checks and balances. But the fact is that everybody, everything goes back to what Regan Park has said. That they're going to do, and as long as they do what they said they're going to do, then there is there is no way that anybody can do anything about it. So, uh, Tom, I appreciate you explaining that. I think better than I did initially.
6: Right. Anyway, all right. Well, thank you. That's one of my big concerns.
4: Yeah, it's and I don't know. Um, you know, if we had another, if we had four hundred thousand, we might be able to do a last minute flyer. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, right. you know, the fifty cents in my other pocket, I don't think it's going to do it.
1: Yeah, oh, we can always chalk. Okay.
6: Well, thank you. Thank you, Roman. Appreciate you having
1: the show. Oh, for sure. Thanks for calling in. Bye
0: bye. Right.
4: Okay. Um, okay. Any other callers? Wait,
1: um I think. Not uh, yet. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, you're welcome. I to go with continue. my list. Yes, please do.
4: <laughs> um, so, let's see. The District 3 Democratic Club is No 1B. The mm-hmm. District 8 Progressive Democratic Club. Uh, the Golden Gate Park Preservation Alliance. You mentioned the Green Party. Mm-hmm. The Haight Ashbury Neighborhood Council the League of Women Voters, the Libertarian Party, uh, the Petro Hill Democratic Club. And I'll stop for just a moment. Petro Hill is very interesting because years back, the department tried to force them to accept an artificial turf field. And they have a little tiny park with one little tiny field. And they did not want it to be fake. Right, right. And they had to put together a huge fight against it, a huge fight. And their supervisor weighed in and that's what stopped it. Hmm. Rossi Playground on the other side of town had the same issue. Little Hmm. tiny park surrounded by homes. Uh, There was gonna be this artificial turf and lights and stuff, and they said, well, but, 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 this is our park, this is grass. And they had to fight it, huge Hmm. fight. Hmm. So you have a situation where the people who are the closest to a park are, have to mobilize, they have to get out, they have to get three or 400 people, they have to get Ugh. their supervisor on board. This is not the way we should have to do it. Absolutely. So that, that is, I'm guessing, why they voted no on B. Um, it's interesting. I said uh, libertarian party and green party. The Republican mm-hmm. Party, in what I call the strange convergence yes. of political parties, is yes. also No One B.
1: Wow! Sometimes we agree. <laughs>
4: <laughs> San Francisco for democracy. San Francisco tomorrow. Save the Palace of Fine Arts. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, SEIU Local 1021.
1: Yeah, I'm uh, a member. You're a member. Uh, SCIU, Thank SCIU, you. Yeah. Thank
4: you for your vote. Appreciate it. Um, the Forest Alliance, the League of Pissed Off Voters, mm-hmm. Ocean Edge, and the San Francisco Taxpayers Association, the Sierra Club, and the Tenant Association's Coalition Political Action Committee, known as TACPAC. And then I mentioned the um, the Chronicle and the Bay Guardian. And also, I'd like to give kudos to the West Side Observer. Mm. Uh, if people are not familiar with that newspaper, it's published in West Portal. It has about twenty to 30,000 subscribers. Mm. And there may issue. If you go online, you'll see three different articles about No One b from three very different people. One of them is uh, George Wooding, Mm -hmm. who is uh, president of the Coalition for San Francisco Neighborhoods, and he does a very long analysis on why this is a bad idea. Yes. Another one is Patrick Manette-Shaw, who has been writing award-winning articles on Laguna Honda and the problems there, Mm -hmm. and he also analyzed it. And then the last um, is by uh, retired Judge Quentin Kopp. Hmm. Now, Judge Kopp was um, a senator, state senator, and also a member of the Board of Supervisors. Oh, okay. So if anybody knows legislation, he does. Yeah. And he writes about it very uh, strongly. He's the kind of person, after you read, you want to say, well, tell us what you really think, because <laughs> he just comes right out. And he explains... How in the publicity you're going to hear? Well, Rec and Park used to get two point one percent of the general fund, but now they don't. They get one point two percent, so they need more money. But what they neglect to say is that the general fund is huge now. Mm. It's practically doubled from okay. years ago. So uh, the money is maybe a smaller percent, but it's a larger amount. Yes. You're not going to see that in the campaign literature. So this this is the kind of twisted stuff that we're getting. Uh, in this campaign. He also talks about the fact that it will raise taxes and that it's very misleading. Mm -hmm. The whole legislation is very misleading. And he also feels that this kind of legislation is what he calls the the lazy supervisor's legislation, Mm. because they don't want to go in June and have to face people and make hard decisions. Mm. So what happens is when the money's gone, they go and they just throw up their hands and say, well, I can't do anything. Mm -hmm. I can't I, I'm not telling you you can't have money for your children and families program because the money's not there, so i'm it's not me. Don't blame me. yes. And he points that out in his article. Wow. <laughs> oh. Well, that's kind oh. of a lot of information. yeah, that's great. <laughs> it's
1: yeah, it's it's great to hear from so many different sources, yeah, and definitely like, a lot of reasons why to vote no.
4: Yeah, and we do we do have a website. Okay. Um, no one. Proposition B, or you can follow at SF Ocean Edge, and or um, hashtag no one prop B and get links to to the website for it. Uh, we would appreciate people retweeting our tweets. That would help a lot because we want to try to reach a lot of people we who are not necessarily people who are going to be into these media, this particular kind of media that we already have.
1: Yes. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming in and sharing all this information.
4: Well, thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Cool. Well, we are about to wrap up the show, play some music, and then we will be signing off uh, in just a, a little bit. Uh, welcome back to the weekly review just going to be wrapping up here we've got Diamond Dave who is going to speak a little bit about the uh, upcoming shows for the Common Thread Collective
3: the Common Thread Collective yes usually coming on in fact I'll do a truncated show at 3 and it's a, but let me tell you all you folks out there wherever you happen to be on whatever de- device you're listening to us I think it's the hottest day of the year it's a hot day in the city is that right? it is oh my god I just took a walk, uh, walk in, the, in the Mission District and it's hot well I want to say that Val is out and about. She won't be here today because she's out and about. But you're going to be playing a selection of some of the past hits. Is that right? Uh,
1: yes, I'll be playing an older episode of uh, Women's Magazine. That's exactly. You know what
3: it is? Which one? Oh, uh, no, I don't. I don't know yet. Okay, whatever it is, it's intelligence. Yeah. It's to the point. It's what we're all about. And then at three o'clock. When we have the Common Thread Collective, uh, I bet a lot of you stay listening and uh, remember that. I'll come back and do a truncated show in short. But I want to let people know right now, Val will be back next week from her travels, Brown is a Berry, Brighten a Button, and a Attack, I'm sure, and with Women's Magazine live. And the Common Thread Collective will be, let me put it this way, I'm going to be. Uh, this is going to be my farewell, well, Diamond Dave, because I'm hitting the road. I'll be calling in on Friday wherever I happen to be, and I'm heading for the Rainbow Gathering in the Green Mountains of Vermont. When we made that selection in the Black Hills of South Dakota, I don't believe we had any idea that this was uh, uh, that this was now a Bernie Land, hmm. Vermont. He started out as a member of the, the member of the Burlington uh, the City Council. I remember that because he was a socialist. I was unusual. I was a socialist, elected to city council. And then he got elected mayor, even more so. Then he got elected to be a congressman. In fact, it's the only congressman in Vermont. It's a very small state. And then he was elected senator. And then um, on uh, on, uh, on Monday, Memorial Day, I, t- I got on BART, and it turned out to be the Bernie train. Oh, yeah. Because everybody's so happy. After we got off at 12th Street, Oakland. The site of the, of, of the former Occupy, and there's a line, and the line stretched snaked all around that part of Oakland, which is, was deserted because it's a holiday. Government offices, parks, snaked on and on and on and on, and people three abreast, really happy. It was self regulated. There's nobody saying, stand over here, move over there, and so on. It just happened. Great. And then uh, I thought, great! I was, uh, you know, of course I went on talking to people. I'd say, get people to say Bernie, and then I'd say rock star, and they'd say Bernie, and I'd just say rubber b- rock star, because yeah. indeed he is a rock star. Yes. And then we went in. And he told he uh, uh, we know uh, we know I know uh, his stand on many issues, whether it be incarceration. Whether it be the military-industrial complex, whether it be the one percent, whether it be single-payer, single-payer uh, single, uh, single, uh, single, uh, single uh, medical care, mm-hmm. medi- uh, whether it be legalized marijuana, and, he's, <laughs> and all the other, and every time he'd speak, he'd speak, the whole crowd would go, would go, "Bernie, Bernie, Bernie!" And they're all kids, except for a scattering of oldsters like myself. Bernie, feeling young. And then we talked about the undocumented. Mm-hmm. The crowd went, say, say, pedre, say, say, pedre, say, say, pedre, that went up. Because he's talking about the opposite. He's the opposite of a Trump. Yeah. In fact, I do thumbs up uh, Bernie, thumbs down Trump. Absolutely. So we're going to see what happens, and uh, yeah. but we will be back here next Friday. Wonderful. And it will be my Farethey Well. So, hey, come on through. Stick around if you will. Sounds great. Everybody who's been here is invited to come back, and we're going to have a show to send me, get me on that uh, bus. I'll be going to Missoula. They're doing an event there for me called. Uh, Diamond in the Rough in the Park, beautiful uh, beautiful park, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Brooklyn, and then the Gathering in the Green Mountains Vermont. Great. So there's, that's where I'll be, but I'll see everybody next Friday.
1: Thank you, Dave. And while we're, we're speaking about Bernie, I uh, read an article recently about, uh, it's called a, it's from Reader Supported News, and they it's called Placebo Ballots Stealing California from oh, Bernie know. using an old GOP voting vote snatching trick. So perhaps uh, if I send you the article uh, you can go over that on Common Thread Collective.
3: Uh, let's all vote on Tuesday for sure and I, uh, there were so many kids there i mean i could see a good share of voting for the first yeah. time and where they to what degree they're aware of those machinations to what degree they've even yeah. uh, they've registered to vote that they registered as democrat because you have to do that
1: yeah but. so yeah the article kind of uh, talks about how even if folks are vote, registered to vote and even if they do vote for bernie some of the votes might may be discarded so, so i think that's something really important sure, to, to look
3: at uh, and we better have i think there's a there's a um, get out the vote campaign uh, going on from bernie headquarters and it's going to be should i give that address uh sure because they need people to help get out the vote to help explain those things help to be like poll watchers i don't know whether they're going to be able to do it but let's Linda end with that.
1: Yes, yeah. So if folks also want to read this article, and for running a bit low on time, I was planning to read it, but um, it's uh, at Reader Supported News, and the article is written by uh, Greg Palast with Dennis J. Bernstein, and the title is Placebo Ballots Stealing California from Bernie Using an Old GOP Vote Snatching Trick, and that came out on June 1st, so you can read the uh, that entire article and the Line uh, by line beneath or the line beneath the byline is uh, the best democracy money can buy the election crimes bulletin and let's read the first paragraph while uh, we're getting set up here alert california poll workers have been told to give all independent voters provisional ballots if they want to vote in the democratic party that's illegal and will have to ensure that sanders voters ballots end up in the garbage uncounted a special bulletin for california voters and for the rest of you um how the same trickery, shifting voters to provisional ballots, which are rarely counted, can steal the White House and Congress for the GOP in November.
3: Shoot. Well, we better get, keep our your eyes uh, open and eyes to the ground. Mm-hmm. Well, here it is. Yes. Get out the vote. Tuesday, June 7th. Um, and uh, for, for this district, it's going to be uh, at 873 Guerrero Street. 873 Gerold Street, starting at 3 p.m. Starting at 3 p.m. So I wanted—I'm inviting folks. I'll go down there, go down, and it will be knocking on doors. It'll be scanning those, uh, scanning those voter sheets to see who's voted, who hasn't. Hopefully, all the paraphernalia of get out the vote, and then the day before. At the Bread and Butter Mm -hmm. Café at the day before, Monday, June 6th, Sidorinaki Bread and Butter Café, which is right
5: on